ripping. Oh, we're live in three, two, one. Welcome everybody to Intellic Integration 4.0 Solutions live stream. Thank you all. We have seven, eight people in the chat right now. Let us know where you guys are joining from. And I'm going to go ahead and kick it over to Walker Reynolds. Uh, hey, how's it going, guys? I'm. Uh, this is our first live stream. I'm going to go ahead and start sharing my screen now. Um, so this is our first live stream where we're going to answer questions. So I, I'm actually going to put the chat up here. I had to turn. Good, Dan's asking questions here. All right. Um, let me go to my notebook and just kind of go over what I want to go over. So totally organic. Um, Zach, Vaughn, you guys will keep an eye on the chat. Uh, basically, we we went through and and we're answering some questions about unified namespace today. We shot it. We just shot a video like an hour and fifteen minutes. If you guys go, if you're not a member of the Discord server, um, we'll include a link to the Discord server in the chat. If Zach, do you want to handle that? Uh, but uh, we have the we manage the industry 4.0 Discord server. I'm sure most of the people who are in here are part of the discord server because that's where we made the announcement but if you're not you can join the the industry 4.0 discord server um through the link that zach's gonna give you guys um let me close teams so i don't get any notifications all right there we go so um where i'm gonna go through and answer a bunch of questions in here um and i'm also gonna go through and answer questions um on youtube um and I want to I want to show you guys. I'm going to try and figure out how to. I want to show you a magazine you should be reading if you're not already reading it. We're going to go over some digital media ideas. I have some videos that I want to shoot and get some more of your guys' ideas and add them into the Trello board. This is my personal one. This isn't the one that Zach does. Um, but I want to start with um, this magazine called 2600 Magazine. It's the Hacker Quarterly. It's a magazine that I've been reading for years. If you guys aren't currently reading it, I recommend that you do be reading it. Um, one of the videos that I'm going to shoot, um, it, it's all things hacker. I mean, it, it, it fits in the, you know, it's definitely more on the commercial IT side. But uh, one of the videos that I'm going to be shooting is a response to an article that was in not this month's issue, but the last, the previous issue, the previous quarter um, by Craig Reeds, who's a guy that I'm connected to on LinkedIn. He wrote an article on uh, security for industrial control systems in, in, la in the last issue. So in the uh, summer issue, he wrote an article on network security and industrial control systems. And um, I'm going to be shooting a video that's a response to his, his uh, article. And, and I mean, the article, what's crazy is that the article he wrote, very, this is a highly credentialed guy in in security, the article he wrote is a industry 3.0 article all day long. I mean, basically his argument is do not digitally transform. That's basically what he says in his article. And, and so I'm going to give a response to it. But if you're not currently reading this, I highly recommend you read it. It's just straight articles. There's probably, it's all from the community, like 50, maybe 50 articles each quarter. You can contribute yourself and the in the, you know, it's a very decentralized magazine, totally worth it. Um, but I'm going to be shooting a video that's a response to one of the, the articles written in 2600. So, um, uh, one of the things I wanted to share was like some of the stuff that I read, you know, what do I read at night? 
you know, what, you know, what's the, what's the kind of stuff I follow that kind of stuff. 2,600 is one of them. So, uh, and you'll see, I have a video that I want to shoot. That's a response to, uh, to him. Um, Dan, I have a bunch of people. You, so Zach, you're, uh, you're going to keep an eye um, and you'll pull the questions out uh, for me. Yeah, to guys, ask your questions in the chat or, or in discord as well. Okay, cool. we're going to do this. Um, every, we plan on doing this every week in 2021. We've actually got some pretty exciting news for 2021 in regards to 4.0 solutions and some new training products that we're launching. So, but you guys are gonna have to stick around to the end of the stream to talk more about that. Yeah, Zach, where do I, we're right there. Share my sound. Is that all I do? Correct. Right there. Okay. Um, all right. So I want to do a couple of quick updates. So on mentorship, um, the, the, for those of you guys who are in digital uh, or, or in mentorship, step one, um, the practical is, is going through review right now. So it took a couple of weeks to incorporate um, uh, the feedback um, for mentorship. So um, I got that incorporated into the practical um, and it's going through review. And then you guys, you guys should get it by the end of the day. Um, I will be checking at like five o'clock Eastern to make sure that it's been done. Um, it may not be till tomorrow morning, but it it's supposed to be done today. Uh, the review, the final review. Um, so those of you guys who are in the step, the step one group, the, the, um, uh, the Federation group, um, uh, Hey Vaughn, wh what person, how many people have completed their training and are ready for the practical right now? Uh, right now we have a, about six that are ready and okay so we've got so one of the things that we've learned is of the how many people are in the first mentorship uh 48 so of the 48 only six are completely done with their training to be able to do the practical we're going to give the practical to everybody i mean you don't have to be done with the training to get to get the practical we're going to give it to everyone uh how many people are going to carry over to the next group they're going to do step one with the next group starting on January 14th. Uh, at last count, I had uh, 12 that were going to carry over. All right. So that means that there are 30 people. There are 12 people we know are going to do step one with the next group. There are people whose schedules just didn't work out or the, the amount of work required to get through the step one training was too much for some people and they need, they, they want to, move on to the next group and finish it in the next group because they're better prepared to complete it. So, um, so we've got 12 that are moving over. We've got six who are done, which means we've got 30 who either have to let us know that they want to move on, to, you know, do step one with the next group starting January 14th, or they've got to finish their training and get the practical done by January 14th. Okay. Um, and Vaughn will be following up with everyone over the next two weeks. So what's the plan with mentorship? Um, the plan with mentorship is pretty straightforward. The hopefully the practicals in everyone's hand today. Um, if not, it'll be tomorrow. Um, the practical is fairly in depth. I, I there's no way it should take anyone two weeks to get the practical done, even if you're just doing a little bit at a time. Um, my guess is everyone should be able to complete the practical within a week. Uh, uh, John Sindritz asked a question today about will we have to do a unified namespace? Yes, you will. You will have a you're going to set up a broker as part of the 
Um, it'll be an external broker, by the way, you're actually going to have two of them, an external and an internal broker that you're setting up as part of the practical. You will be using a unified namespace. You are going to consume some data with a third party application and then have to publish back into the namespace. You will have to do that as part of it. You're going to do both a vision. You're going to have to build a vision window interface, and then you're going to build a perspective window interface inside of Ignition. Uh, you're going to be working with a MySQL database. Um, you're going to be writing some Python code, including you're going to write a standalone Python code, uh, Python application, a very simple one. Okay. It shouldn't be more than 10, 12 lines. You're going to write a very simple standalone Python application that you are going to add to the Python library so that you can uh, call it from not just Ignition, but any other application. So this is different than running a writing a Python script inside of Ignition. You're going to write, you're also going to write one that's outside of Ignition and you'll have to create an init file and we're, we're going to have to support you on it. We're going to let everybody run into the same problem and then see if the group can, if the community can help each other out. Hey, how do I, why is it I can't call this package um, externally? And it, you know, it, it and, uh, so we're going to let everybody run through the same problem. So, um, and then um, you are going to visualize data inside of Ignition, uh, both uh, on the vision side and the the uh, perspective side. So it, it it'll be a very very good start to doing IIoT projects, Industry 4.0 projects using Ignition as your IIoT platform. Step two, which is starting on January 14th, is advanced Python and SQL and, and, uh, but the, the bulk is, um, you know, we're going to get into some MES. We're going to get into, we're going to do some, uh, the basics of, um, machine learning and predictive analytics. There's going to be some basic stuff that you're going to get into. Um, but the, the bulk is factory studio university or frameworks university, which I want to go over right now. So we've been working on, um, frameworks university. We've been shooting all the content, um, and um, so this is our structure for the course. So we're at, we've actually been, what, you know, what is it you guys, what is Frameworks University going to be? So there are several modules inside of the training. It's very similar to Inductive University. If you're, if you took Induct, our goal is to keep it fairly similar, but have it be a lot more useful. So um, most of the complaints about Inductive University are things we've been complaining about for years. Um, we're, we're going to fix those things. So one of, the, one of the things that you're going to be doing is you're going to be doing um, development as a part of every module. So you're going to be, the university is centered around you building a project and we're going to build it together throughout the university. That's how it's going to work. So you have a module and then you got topics under the module. Each topic is going to have one or two videos associated with it. Um, we have a module quiz at the end of the module and then we're going to tell you to do some development. And we're going to shoot the content and you're going to, we're going to do it with you. There's a course exam at the very end when you're done with all the modules. Um, that'll just be 25 questions and you'll need to get a 90 or better to pass the university. One of the biggest differences between Frameworks University and Inductive University or any other university is if you get credentialed in Frameworks University, in, in Factory Studio, anyone who sees that credential knows they're, they're going to be able to gauge your basic minimum ability to work in the platform. 
Okay. And your basic minimum ability is going to be pretty advanced. Um, we are not, I mean, while we are doing the introduction, we are going fairly, you know, we're going IIoT with this. So um, it's important to understand that, you know, there are no participation awards in IIoT and Industry 4.0. We're trying to weed out people who, you know, for your own benefit, if you can't do this stuff, we're, you know, we're, the bar's high. So, uh, and I hope people appreciate that because I think most of us are sick of the fact that we get this training and we could, we could learn nothing. We could go to one of these training sessions, learn absolutely nothing and still get a certificate. We know that that's not, you know, it's not worth the paper it's written on. Okay. That's not the case with this. Okay. Um, so with that, I want, I want to play a, we've shot, we have an intro video that I want to, I'm going to play for you guys. Um, that is, um, what is it? Take one. You you called it right. There you go. Um, let me know if you can hear the audio when it plays. Ahoy, I'm Walker B. Reynolds. Welcome to Frameworks University. So this is the intro, the first video of the training. Those of you who know me know that I am uh, interested in all things Industry 4.0. If you watch our content on Intellix YouTube channel or you follow 4.0 Solutions or you're a member of the Industry 4.0 Discord server or you've taken Digital Mastermind Step 1 or 2 or you're a member of Mentorship Step 1, which I hope you are, then you know that I talk about a platform called Factory Studio made by Tatsoft all the time. We are working in conjunction with Tatsoft to create the university for the newest release of their platform, which is called Factory Studio, built on Frameworks version 9.1. It's a revolutionary release for December 2020. And the reason you're watching this video is because you are about to embark on the university that will introduce you to the new platform and get you credentialed and certified to work with it. In this course, what you can expect is training on Tatsoft's Factory Studio built on Frameworks, which we going forward, we'll just refer to it as Factory Studio 9.1 or Frameworks 9.1. What you can expect is a university style training course all on video broken into modules with a quiz at the end of every module and a practical a practical piece at the end of every module, all taught within the context of the industry 4.0 principles that we teach about um, through our digital media and through our community. We have no idea how long this course is going to take people. We'll be interested to see how long it'll take people to get completed. But when you're done, you will have a thorough understanding of what Factory Studio is, how it is built, how you can leverage it, and how does it fit into an IIoT ecosystem. In a nutshell, Factory Studio is a platform for solving problems. And this course, it is a platform for teaching you how to use that platform for solving problems. So sit back, relax, Get a notepad and a pen if you are old. If you are young, open up whatever digital note-taking tool that you use. If you're an old person who likes to use new technology, you do the same. I'm old. If you're a young person who likes to use old technology, grab yourself a notebook and a pen, and let's get started. So now that you guys watch this video, mark this video as complete. Leave any comments down below and move on to the next module. couple of things that you guys might notice is uh, you should have seen lately um, how our logo has changed to 4.0. So um, we are actively, um, so 4.0 solutions and IntelliC integration are, are assembling companies. 
Um, I actually own five companies that make up my industrial automation uh, holdings. Uh, 4.0 Solutions is the product company. It's the it's been designed. It, it owns all of our products. It's been uh, 4.0 Solutions has been, I think, in business since 17. It owns all of our products, owns all of our software, all of our hardware. Um, we are now actively pivoting and moving our education and outreach to 4.0 Solutions. So nothing really changes for you guys other than the logo. Um, you'll see the logo different. Uh, you'll see 4.0 Solutions in the video shots, but everything's still the same. It, we're just choosing to use this 4.0 Solutions uh, brand. So that's a brand new logo. Uh, one of the things, uh, Intellect.online will be moving to IIoT.university. So we purchased the, the domain IIoT.university and we'll be moving all of our industry 4.0, all of our education and outreach to that IIoT.university piece. The reason why is um, we work with other integrators. So I really serve dual roles while I'm the chief executive officer of Intellic Integration and I'm an engineer and, I, and I'm a lead engineer and still work on projects, but I'm kind of backing off and I'm moving out to the community and teaching the community how to do this stuff. So Intellic Integration still exists, still got engineers and lead engineers, and we're still doing tons of projects and, um, and, um, and growing like crazy. But I'm me personally, I'm stepping back and focusing on the education and outreach for the rest of the community so that working with other integrators and getting them off the ground. And I've really been doing that for the last two years. Uh, one of the companies that we work with is actually really integral in, in, in the Discord community. So you guys will see that. Like, what is the 4.0 solutions? It's just really the brand for um, education and outreach. Um, couple of updates, you know, we're up to 750 members on Discord, which is really kind of crazy when you think about the fact that we don't actively recruit that much. <laughs> I mean, we kind of do it in spurts. So, um, that, and, in the, the, the participation has been profound. So, um, all right, so let's go through, uh, these questions. Let me go. I, I want to do one other thing. Uh, earlier today, we shot a video on uh, unified namespace. So there was a lot of questions in the Discord server under unified namespace. And so the, the specific questions I answered are here and those videos will be reduced, re, uh, released. It actually took like an hour and 20 minutes to answer all the questions. So, um, which really gave us the idea, Hey, we should do this live thing. So there's one other question in there. I, I want to start with the question in Discord before I moved to YouTube. But um, there was another question in the Discord that I missed under Unified Namespace. And it was, uh, where did I see it? Right here. I've just started watching and reading a few of the threads here and similar to some of the previous threads. I'm wondering if anyone can point me to articles that discuss how a unified namespace architecture scales across a global enterprise of multi-region and site. So the answer is there's no, there is no document yet that, um, that shows you how to scale across an enterprise. Why? Because the solution, remember the solutions you build using a technology stack are a function of the problems you're trying to solve. So there isn't when it, if you go and you look across um, if you look at the companies who have digitally transformed that 
they didn't digitally transform. They came up during the fourth industrial revolution. Tesla is a perfect example. If you compare Tesla with one other major company that we're not allowed to mention, we're, um, the way that they've architected their IoT infrastructure is completely different. They use the same core principles, edge-driven, report by exception, right? Um, lightweight, open architecture. But outside of that, the way that they scaled across their business is definitely not the same. So there isn't one, this is why Remy, this is why I'm going to go over some stuff. This is why some of the standards that come out for industry 4.0 are not worth the paper they're written on. And, and the reason we haven't seen any successful implementations using these standards, because you, what you, at the end of the day, the IIoT infrastructure, the unified namespace you put in place is going to be a representation of your business. And not every company builds their business the same way. That's, that's the competitive advantage. It, you know, the, the way you build the business is your intellectual property, the way you manage workflow, the way that you convert things from a, from a bill of materials, the way you source raw materials, the way you build recipes, that's all your intellectual property. That's not standardized. That isn't standard. That's why you have integrators. The first thing the integrator learns is how do you even do things? They're literally the first thing you're, you're learning. You don't walk in thinking, oh, they do it X, Y, and Z because that's the way everyone does it. That's not how it, that isn't how this works, right? That's why you have to have integrators. So the answer is there is no document, but there is a strategy. And that strategy is the strategy we teach in digital mastermind and mentorship, right? What are the steps to digital transformation? And, and what is the approach, the agile approach, right? There is a specific strategy that will get you to that design, to that standard that you're going to create, that technology stack that you're going to create. The strategy is what we can standardize. But the 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 um, the architecture is not standard. There's even if you look at the solutions that we develop, there are there are some there are some architectures we use all the time, but we're constantly extending them for various customers. Okay. Uh, Zach, any question I should ask? I answer. I should answer uh, first. Now, Dell asked about the ISA 95 standard, or, or no, was it ISA 101 or ISA 95? ISA 95 standard. Oh, getting I, a copy of it. I, I, I believe every time we have a mentorship call every month and there's downloads available, I, tr I try to put all of those into the download section for that mentorship call on IIoT University. So if it's not there, I'd, I'd have to double check. Walker, do you remember if you ever gave that to us, the ISA 95 standard? Take a look. Let's see if I download okay. it. Uh, all right. So for those of you guys who are not members of ISA, um, it does, you have to pay to get. Um, what? Oh, yeah. This is the problem that we had. Got to stop sharing for a second so no one gets my password. You'll see it for just a quick. Mm. Yeah, we do not have it yet. We don't have it yet. I have the ISA 101, which we dropped on yeah, the, the call. The issue the is, yeah, the issue. So if you do ISA 95, oh, wait, no, I uh, I have the document somewhere. 
Um, all right, so let's go ahead and look up our. Oops. So you just go to ISA 95 if you are a member. Dave Schultz is. Um, and then what you can do is you can do a stand, you can do a search of the standard you're looking for. Um, and now there's a couple of issues that you have with ISA 95. Okay. And that is some of ISA 95 came from ANSI. So wherever you see ANSI as a, as a, at the beginning, you cannot, you have to pay for that individual standard. Okay. Because the copyright is still owned, you know, as part of some, what we care about is the model. So, um, what we care about is the individual model. Um, and so what I'm going to do is I think it's part two that we're looking for. ISA 95 part two. Right here. Objects and attributes. All right. This is the one that we want. We, I have it. We'll, I'll give it to you guys to upload. Uh, I'll give it to you, Zach, to upload. This is the one you really care about. Objects and attributes. This is the one you want to read um, first. All right. Uh, you also want to read the 88 and 95. That could be a, a video we do just on ISA 95 for our YouTube. Okay. All right. Let's go to, let's go to YouTube. I'm just going to go through and answer these these questions real quick. Um, all right. Scott Palmer, industry 3.0 system integrator. Great video. You nailed it. Um, for those of you guys that did not see the manufacturer's video, the latest video that we published, um, this is about an email I wrote when I worked at Newcore Steel and I talk about some leadership stuff. Um, we got a lot of positive feedback on the IOT at the edge podcast. Um, the factory studio. I can't believe that's had that many views. 700 views, man. That's crazy. Rockwell automation. This is how terrible Rockwell is, by the way. Hopefully Rockwell watches this eventually. Um, open or not. That means does Rockwell, no one comes on here and defends Rockwell. We're not a single person yet. We know that many, many people from Rockwell automation watch these videos because of the statistics we get. Um, we're able to tell like which domains and stuff, you know, if you, if you watch a video while you're logged in, we can, you know, we know like what companies and stuff watch the videos and, um, many, 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 many people from Rockwell watch these videos, but they, no one ever defends them, which is kind of crazy. You think like somebody at Rockwell would come on and, and defend them and they don't, it's, it's really nuts. Um, uh, all manufacturers, let's do this. Great info. Why your applications aren't scaling. Uh, very good video. Oh, the industry 4.0 rant. Uh, there was a question here I want to answer. Can you please suggest which are the top companies offering digital factory solutions? All right. This is a, a very good question. I generally do not. Um, I generally don't do this because of it, there's always people I'm going to miss. Okay. But the, the best way to do this is, um, let me grab this and, uh, do it by layer of the stack. So on the PLC side, um, you know, Wago, 
Opto 22 um, Siemens, especially with the S7 1200s. Um, uh, Wago Opto 22 Siemens. Help me out here. Make sure I don't miss anybody, guys. Um, uh, well, you got your easy automation. Yeah, Advantech, easy automation. Um, uh, Moxa. Your back off. Back off. Yeah. Um, your RPI. Yeah, Raspberry Pi. Uh, actually, let's just do this. Any real, any single board computer that has Linux-based OS. Um, that can run the MQTT uh, library pack. Yeah. Um, oh, Schneider Electric. This, Schneider is the only one of the big boys. They actually have a new PLC, I, and we I will shoot a video on this, a new PLC that um, is full IoT right out of the box. Um, I can't remember the name is of it. Um, we're going to do one. What's that? Oh, wow. The M221. Yeah, there you go. Yep. The M221. Yep. Uh, free wave. Uh, there's a, there's a lot here on the edge, uh, on the HMI, uh, red line is a big one. Uh, ignition edge. Um, in touch edge, which is Indusoft. Maple okay. systems, Maple systems. Um, Ignition Edge, Factory Studio. This is actually where Factory Studio started. When they created Factory Studio initially in 2013, their first entry into the market was to basically replace panel views. That was their whole, their whole goal. What they didn't realize initially was the approach that they were taking was creating an IIoT platform. Okay. Um, on the HMI, so Factory Studio, um, there are many others. Again, I'm not, you know, this is not going to be totally inclusive. Um, SCADA, Ignition, uh, Factory Studio, WinCCOA. Um, we'll do Canary Labs, um, Historian. But the truth is, is that Canary Labs can act as um, uh, a SATA system. So supervisory acquisition, <laughs> um, uh, supervisory data acquisition, it can act as. It can't do control, or that's not entirely true. If you're a really good developer, you can do control. Flow software. You got bedrock automation. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hold on. Bedrock. That was at the edge, though. Michael Daldell yeah. dropped that one. Yeah. Bed so if you guys don't know, bedrock, so this is high security. So if you want to, you know, this is all military technology, Bedrock developed. Um, also, no moving parts. That's another thing. One of their um, their PLCs are going to last for 50 years. I mean, they're going to last forever. Uh, there are no moving parts in any of their, their PLCs at all. Um, and they have no contact communications from IO to the backplane. So there's no place to intercept data. Um, I mean, super high security. Um, uh, so Ignition, Factory Studio, WinCCOA, Canary Labs, Flow. Uh, on the MES side, this is a um, uh, um, Ignition 
Thepasoft, uh, Factory Studio, MES 4.0. Here's the problem that you're running into in Industry 4.0. A lot of people are thinking they don't need manufacturing execution. Um, uh, in 4, um, whether the EAM, you name it, um, all their stuff is uh, NCCOA again. Um, all right, ERP. Um, let me let me just put Odoo, and let me put custom here, and stay away from everything else for a whole host of reasons. Uh, at the cloud layer, AWS, uh, Azure, uh, Litmus, uh, Sorba IoT. There's a ton. This is where you're going to see the vast majority. You know, this is where you're also going to end up with Canary and Flow. You're going to end up with Ignition here. You're going to end up with Factory Studio here. I mean, the vast majority of the IIoT solutions you see are going to be cloud-based. Um, on the MES side, a big one I'm missing here, Automation Intellect. This is probably the one that should be at the top. Um, see, this is why I don't do this, because I'll, I'll end up forgetting like a really important one. This is um, this is why we created the community though. This is really where 4.0 solutions, the need for 4.0 solutions was created because we realized it's too much for us to do alone. So we created the Discord, we created the content and encourage you guys to do the same so we can work together, right. come up with our minimum technical requirements and go scan the market for these solutions and bring them to the surface. One of the things that I am very um, oh wait, uh, Seek needs to go here. See, I, I, this is the reason I generally don't do it. So I don't, cause what I don't want is I don't want anyone to think that because I left someone off the list, it means they're not an IOT platform. Like to put together a comprehensive list, we'd have to sit and list off hundreds of, of solutions. What I'm posting here, this is not all inclusive. So, um, there are specific platforms that I will tell you. Oh, yeah. For example, uh, ThingWorks is absolutely an IoT platform, right? Um, I asked uh, Litmus Automation. Yeah, Litmus. Uh, didn't I put them right here? Oh, he said it couldn't also be considered as Edge. They could be Litmus. Is, well, what, that was what I was going to highlight here. So I'm going to highlight these two. That's why I put them next to each other. So one of the things about Litmus and let me do Automation Intellect is these are these are platforms that also have edge components okay so automation intellect has a cloud a cloud component and then a component that runs on the edge okay sorba iot does the same thing where they've got a cloud component that sort of does all of the force multiplication all of the so sorba iot for you guys don't know is a uh, machine learning um, tool but it's really an IoT platform, uh, and you know it's just like everything else. You know, if you're a if you're a you know a plant manager and you buy some piece of software, you want every software to solve every problem for you. It's it's like that. So you'll notice that you may develop a platform that has a really specific niche, but but it ends up adding tons and tons of functionality later because the customers keep requesting it, even though you can get that functionality easily by grabbing another platform that would play nicely with it. You know what I mean? Um, Sorba IoT started out as a machine learning 
um, platform, but it's really moved more towards an IIoT platform. It has an edge component so that you have devices that run out on your equipment that the, the, the machine learning is done. So the modeling and the learning is done in the cloud. And then the model is published to the edge and it's administered on the edge on the machine, right? Litmus automation does the exact same thing. Litmus automation though, however, could be, you could really list Litmus pretty much every, you know, at every layer of the stack. Uh, you could also um, influx DB. So if you do, so influx DB, which is really time series data, influx could really live at all layers of the stack because there's a whole host of other solutions like Grafana and other tools that um, all, that all use the same time series data uh, database. And so you have a whole suite of solutions that's part of influx, but th this is a good list here. This is a, I, I mean, is there any that I'm missing that I like are just jumping off the screen that I'm, you know, that, holy crap, how did I miss X, Y, or Z? Um, I don't think so. Uh, UNS gateway. Um, Where, yes. So way? UNS gateway. So our like, UNS uh, gateway. Uh, um, high for example. Oh, thank you. So UNS Gateway. So HiByte, UNS Gateway, uh, InfluxDB, um, Litmus Automation. These are tools that are going to, that because they can serve as a unified namespace, all of them, uh, Influx really can't, but it sort of can. Um, it connects, it can connect to any of the layers, any solution at any of the layers. So the, the closer you get to being a unified namespace, the more you're going to plug into each layer in the stack. You're not going to be unique to a, a specific location in the stack. Okay. Your IOT platforms, you'll notice flow. You see, or you see factory studio at every layer, except for PLC edge, right? Um, you're not going to, you could do automation from inside factory studio, but you shouldn't same thing with ignition. You know, we, I keep reading these articles that, you know, hey, we're going to be doing automation inside of software. That's insane. You, you don't, we don't, you don't want to be running your equipment from, um, from software that's running on a computer. You want it to be on a specialized machine that has direct connections to the IO that has dedicated cores and threads to just your automation and has all of the robustness engineered into the solution for a whole host of reasons. I mean, Part of the software development lifecycle is is making mistakes. Bugs are part of the process. Bugs are not part of the process in writing firmware for PLCs. You you try to solve every bug before you ever go into production because you can kill somebody when you're running machines. <laughs> All right. Any I think Michael questions there? Know, Michael wanted to know what the UNS gateway is. Uh, I've showed it um, a couple of times in. Um, I've showed it a couple of times in our um, digital mastermind and mentorship. It the unit uni, it's the unified namespace gateway that uh, allows you to plug. Right now, the it you can basically connect it to any OPC server, and it converts to a uh, an MQTT namespace and publishes it to your broker. So it's um, I'm I'm I think we're going to open source it completely. I'm pretty sure we're going to. 
um, where I'm, we're just going to make it available, you know, and as a community tool, um, basically you can take the, the UNS gateway, you can connect it to any OPC server and, um, it'll convert the entire OPC namespace into an MQTT namespace and publish it to your broker. Um, people will ask what's the difference between the UNS gateway and Highbyte. Highbyte does all sorts of other stuff, modeling. It has all sorts of other connectors. Um, the UNS gateway is, it is like a subset of what Highbyte can do. It's just a subset. It has a special function for your existing uh, OPC infrastructure. Okay. And that's um, a product developed. Actually, you're being humble right now. Walker, you wrote the majority of it and it's a product that 4.0 solution is going to be one of our, software products i we were Correct. thinking about actually getting it in the hands of our mastermind and mentorship folks first at least equipping you guys with it so you guys can go out there and build digital factories at scale with the tools that we give you and then i this is the first time i'm hearing that you're open source that you were thinking about open yeah so the plan the plan it. is the plan is i i wrote it as a tool for our team to use so that you know if you want to know part of how we can integrate faster than anybody else we built the tools to do it so in industry 4.0 so i can we can go into an existing solution somebody's got kepler running somebody's got top server running someone's got ignition running you know they've got any opc server they're using daz abc ip in a wonderware system platform environment we can take the unified namespace gateway i can install it i go to the web page i configure the connection to the opc server i configure the connection to our mqtt broker I hit submit and boom, everything's done. It takes everything, converts it into MQTT, gets it into our unified namespace. Then we can use Ignition or Factory Studio or any IoT platform to create the ISA 95 structure. So now what I've got is that OPC server namespace is now fully MQTT. It's not like the IoT gateway that comes with Kep server where you can only select certain tags. What our unified UNS gateway, it grabs everything. It grabs if you guys write OPC, you know, you have, you know, you have variables and you have um, nodes inside of OPC. Variables are generally your tags. You also have custom methods. You get, there's a, that there's many namespaces. If you look at an OPC item path, you'll have like, you know, NS equals one or NS equals two. That means namespace, namespace equals one. So if you look at the OPC item path, it means go to namespace one and go grab the variable that's at this node path. That's basically what that means. But in order to construct that, you if you look at most clients that look at OPC, they're only looking at a small piece of it. Why? Because it, OPC is very verbose, blah, blah, blah. So what we did was we wrote a, a tool, a, pro, a program that can, that can handle the fact that it's super verbose. It can auto-browse everything. It can completely replicate it into an MQTT namespace and send the whole thing to your broker. And then in your IoT platform, you can then take, you can do all your modeling. So we, our plan right now is to use Highbyte to do that. So we use Highbyte to do all the modeling to create the, the normalized ISA 95 structure. The unified, the UNS gateway is really a tool that you use for the legacy infrastructure while you use your edge driven strategy for any of your greenfield stuff. Okay. But it, 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 it decreases, you know, B. Michael asks, will UNS Gateway support MQTT 3.1.1 and Sparkplug B? So it, it supports 3.1.1, Sparkplug B. 
uh, MQTT four and and the uh, beta release of five right now. So and in in the Spark plug is just a toggle with with three additional fields. Yep. And I've actually done it right now. I'm testing with Docker so that you can um, use the same kernel and spin up you know 12, 15, 20, 30, 100 instances. Pretty slick. But yeah, that's that's what it is. It's uh you know it's a tool we developed. That it, we we generally don't market our tools in you know Dowdell. We've talked about this with MES 4.0. We don't like actively market those things because you know we we create these products to fill holes in the mar to fill a fill a hole in the market. And a lot of times, what I end up doing is I take what we've developed, where we've deployed it with our clients, and and we we try to get some other company to develop it. I, I'm not in the business of, you know, long-term making products. That's not really what I want to do. What I want to do is take the product that I developed and have somebody else run with it. You know, and that's kind of the, the, the vision. The UNS8 gateway is different. This is something we will maintain. The plan here is to have two versions. The one is fully open source community edition that's free you know, that's under the uh, open, an open source license where if you make any modifications, you got to share that with the community. And then there will be a, um, you know, a uh, commercial version, an enterprise version that can have um, custom, you know, intellectual property contained within it. But yeah, we're going to go that model, the, the uh, community and uh, enterprise model. Uh, um. All right, here's a, a good one. Anthony Kuznia, a couple of weeks ago. Um, so on the My Factory Studios story, he asked the question, how would you differentiate the object-oriented nature of Factory Studio versus Aviva System Platform? So though, all you guys who are going to go through um, um, mentorship step two, you're going to learn this. But one of, the, one of the most powerful things about working in Factory Studio is that any... Anything you create in Factory Studio, a tag, a script, a component, a window, um, they all become objects that are browsable using IntelliSense because, and primarily it's because Factory Studio is built in native.net. And so because it's built in native.net, it sits on top of the .NET framework. And because it's, on the, it's built in the .NET framework, it, that means that any object you create is browsable using IntelliSense, okay? So he asked this question, how do you differentiate the object-oriented nature of Factory Studio with System Platform, which is also built in .NET? And here's the answer to that question. Aviva is not the least bit interested in sharing with you all of the objects that you have created. What they've done is they've created System Platform, which it sits, it's, it's the sub-applications like InTouch are built in .NET, and so is system platform. But the way that they play with one another is not native.net, okay? It, what they do is they create an abstraction layer, which is Aviva system platform. So if I create an object inside of system platform, okay, so that is the object that I would deploy in my galaxy, that is something I can browse. But if I create a window inside of InTouch, which is abstracted inside of system platform, that window is not browsable. 
That is not that is not a .NET object inside of the platform. Okay. So my answer to this is this is a great question. So system platform is object oriented at the abstracted layer, the objects that you create. Okay. So that would be the objects within system platform. While Factory Studio is object oriented at both the native and abstracted layers. Okay. So because Factory Studio itself is all native.net, it is not abstracted.net, it's native.net. That means everything, you everything that you create is a.net object. That's what it means. And therefore it is browsable. Okay. So moreover, not everything in system platform is an object that's browsable in the development environment. Factory Studio being native.net is nothing but objects, both native and abstracted, that are accessible from within the development environment. That is, the environment is aware of its existence, okay? There are some similarities between the two platforms, but Factory Studio is far more open. It's much faster, more flexible, IoT ready, and all for a little fractional, literal fraction of the cost. A fully unlimited license for Factory Studio costs about 10 grand. You can't even get the box that the discs come in for System Platform for $10,000. Actually, it's not even true. It's eleven nine. Um, the And the reason that Factory Studio is so much faster than System Platform, that is the, the speed at which visualizations will update, is because a visualization in System Platform is abstracted. It's an abstraction. So therefore, it has to run through another layer before it gets to the native.net, which in native.net, you know, uses the Windows system calls to get to the kernel, which gets you into the processor and makes everything happen. It's a it's a slower, it's a faster round trip, which makes the performance much higher. That's why screens and windows run so fast, because a window, a screen in your program is using a system call to get you directly to, you know, through the API directly to the kernel, which is how Factory Studio is built. Aviva system platform is not built that way. Um, blah, 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 blah. Scott, well, I think it was Scott. Um, Scott Palmer asked, how would a software developer contribute towards the community version? Is there a Git repo somewhere? It's a great question. Yeah. Yeah, the answer is yes. There is a Git, re Git repo that I'm not sharing yet. What we'll do is we'll do a big. I'll make it public. We're going to do a big announcement, and and you know share it with the community. So, uh, but it, everything is um, we do use we use Bitbucket, but um, so we don't use GitHub. I'll probably move it to. I'll probably move the um, the uh, main branch. I'll probably move everything to GitHub and host it on GitHub. Uh, right now we use Bitbug and Bit Bitbucket internally, but first, you can. Yep, go ahead. I say this is the first time we've actually ever, Scott we've ever talked about it really. Um, also, there's other things we haven't talked about for 4.0 like Mastermind Step Three and everything else next year. We're going to do kind of a big announcement, and that's probably going to be coincided around that time where we launch the fort on the 14th. We're having the mentorship call, and we haven't picked an actual date yet, but we're going to have a public launch event for Factory or Framework University. Um, and so it may or may not be on that day, but the UNS gateway is going to be a big, a big thing moving forward to 2021 and really help accelerate this transformation. Uh, 
yeah, I want to ask one more, one more. So under the Rockwell is Rockwell automation open. Um, you know, what about the Rockwell partnership with PTC is the integration of ThingWorks and Kepware in their portfolio to make them more open? The answer is no. And actually I want to, I mean, the answer is not no. The answer is sort of. So let's talk about what open is. Okay. What in, and I, if you guys didn't get a chance to, uh, IOT at the edge, so I'm going to answer a question here, but I was on the, you know, Advantech and BNB SmartWorks. They have uh, Mike Ferrion. He is a, uh, he has a podcast that I was on a couple of weeks ago and I think we published it. Um, you know, somebody downvoted it. I wonder if that was Derek Stickle. Um, the, uh, we had a, um, I, I, I was on the IOT at the edge podcast and I, we had this discussion about open architecture. I we've shot videos on what open architecture is. And, and I think people make open architecture much more complicated than it really is. Okay. Um, so open architecture is be, just because you can connect to another piece of software using a third-party standard, this is the definition that people used to use, does not make you open, right? I mean, um, simply because a piece of software that has a native driver, like Kep Server, right, has two components to it. It's got the driver that can talk to your PLC, and then it's got the server that it shares that information with, right? That doesn't make Kep Server open. What makes Kep Server open, and it is open, uh, Kep Server is open. Um, it's but it's not wide open. There are there are elements of Kep Server that are not available um, to a client. Okay, there's important information inside of the Kep Server platform that is not available to a client. That is talk. You would have to go into Kep Server to access that information. Things like, uh, until the API was written, um, things like your communications logs were only available inside of Kep Server itself, inside of the um, configuration tool. Um, that was not shared. That information was not made available to clients until they created the API, which by the way, Zach and I helped write the standard for in 2013. We wrote the specification for it. Because that API in Kepware was written for that project, that big project we run, we won the Firebrand Award for. Um, open means that you, um, open means that the software or the hardware that uses that standard to talk to things that the its owner does not manage is it shares all of the pertinent information over that open standard, okay? There, there is a lot of information. This is why Rockwell's not open. Rockwell's not open because Rockwell, it, Rockwell's only focus is on sharing all pertinent information with ro other Rockwell tools and Rockwell partners tools, okay? And so they are open with only within the Rockwell ecosystem. Inside the Rockwell ecosystem, they're open. If, if you 
if you use the intellectual property inside of your software to steer you to steer a consumer to a very specific solution in the market, then that is a good way of saying you are definitely not open. You're essentially leveraging the need to access something inside of your solution to drive you towards a very specific solution that's generally an add-on product or that kind of thing. When all you have to do is adopt open standards and expose everything. You don't have to expose the intellectual property, the individual code that's operating. But Rockwell makes a concerted decision. Like when they, when they adopted MQTT, for example, Rockwell used MQTT to connect uh, an, a gateway. There's a blog post I did about it like five years ago where they, they used it to connect an individual gateway with a cloud solution that they owned or Rockwell or Microsoft owned. But you couldn't transmit over MQTT to anything outside of the Rockwell ecosystem. Like they intentionally wrap the MQTT into in inside of a proprietary wrapper so that you couldn't expose it to a non um rockwell partner solution sorry um all right a a other questions so open architecture is the idea that if you look at ignition or factory studio none of that's going on in factory studio or ignition that wasn't going on inside of ThingWorks until the Rockwell partnership. In fact, ThingWorks, PTC ThingWorks has become more closed since the Rockwell partnership. What's happening is Rockwell is pulling PTC into the Rockwell ecosystem and closing the doors that you used to, to, to import and to impertinent, to pertinent data within the namespace that used to be accessible. That's what Rockwell's doing. They make conscious decisions to cut that off. It's just like uh, Apple, right? Is, is iOS open? No, it's not open. Is the Apple ecosystem open? No, it is not open. It is fully and totally and completely controlled by Apple. Open is... Tesla. Is, is Tesla open? Uh, no, definitely not. They use open so architecture... They use open architecture. They use open architecture. Are you talking about Tesla like the cars? Or well, exactly. The data off of your Tesla, Tesla owns. And then Tesla uses that data to enable the full self-driving for Tesla's full self-driving. But Tesla is not allowing the full self-driving technology to be accessed by other manufacturers of other automobiles. Correct. And, but, but within the Tesla ecosystem, that is within inside the enterprise ecosystem, they themselves only use open architecture. They, they rule out solutions within their IOT framework because they're not open. But then when they, the, to the consumers, the data is not open, obviously. Yes. But within the Tesla ecosystem, it is open. Yes. So within the IOT ecosystem. Um, all right. I wanted to answer, uh, there was a specific question that was answered during that, that, um, um, question at this video. I think that he says he, I list how OPC UA does not meet the four pillars. So comments and questions are below. Number one, OPC UA is not report by exception. 
can you clarify? In my experience, OPC UA servers will only will send payloads of updated values, not repeat the same value regardless uh, as in Modbus. Additionally, OPC UA servers can service different rates to different clients. Client one gets update, queue of one, blah, 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 blah. All right, so let's answer that question. This is not true. It, it, it can be true in a specific case, okay? But when you configure a... When you configure a communications driver, let's use Kepware as an example, and this is going to apply to basically every OPC server. It'll apply to Ignition, it'll apply to uh, Top Server, uh, you name it, um, Matricon OPC. It's going to apply to all of them. When you configure the device, one of the settings in the device is um, uh, uh, polling configuration or polling state. Um, so one of them is uh, timed, that's a time cycle. One of them is respect the sky, client scan rate. Um, one is manual, right? And then I think there's a fourth one. If you respect the client scan rate, then what will happen is the, oh, the driver will pull for the, the change when, you, when the request comes in. And by default, respect client scan rate is the setting. Okay, so what that means is, let's say I've got an OPC client that's connected to an OPC server, and I've got a driver that is talking to a PLC, and I set up my driver to respect the client scan rate. Okay, that means every single time that the OPC client requests an update for that value, that value is pulled every time. Moreover, to optimize the polling of that PLC device, it, by default, it's done in blocks. So let's say I only want to get one tag in the address space. I don't pull just one tag. That's not the way OPC does it. What it does is it groups that request into a block and it goes in and it will request, let's say that block is um, 10 words long or six, let's use a multiple of four. It's eight words long. It's going, and, and I'm, and I'm going to go get a, I'm going to pull back a 16, a 16 bit integer. Okay and I'm only interested in one value, what's going to happen is every time that tag, the OPC client requests the update, the OPC server is going to, is, the driver is going to go request from the PLC that update. It's not cached in the server under that default configuration, okay? Um, and what will happen is it will, it, if, if, I'm, if I'm going and getting an eight, if I'm using eight, uh, eight word blocks, then what's going to happen is it's going to call the seven, it's going to call the, or the, the three or four words before me and the three words after me. So the response is going to be a block of which only one value inside of it is what you care about. That is not report by exception, number one. Report by exception is if on the edge, I've got an MQTT client that when that individual tag changes, I publish it. Now, the way you configure most MQTT is you use a deadband of, say, one second. So everything that changed in the last one second, I group together and I publish all of them at the exact same time. But that's report by exception. Report by exception is not the OPC default. Okay, well, it's not. Report by exception doesn't exist in any way, shape, or form in, in the default OPC UA architecture part 14 or what is it is it part 14 or is it 22 
uh, OPC. I think it's part 14. Is that? Yeah, PubSub. There you go. So I, I always keep, I don't, what is the 22 that I keep thinking in my head? Uh, part 14 is the, is the standard for PubSub, which, by the way, basically says use the OPC um, namespace structure but use MQTT to publish to a broker. That's basically what 14 says. Uh, number two, OPC UA is not edge driven. I see your point for your part six, 7.1.3 does specify a reverse hello procedure. Yeah, this is all um, initiates communication with a client to secure a port through a firewall. Most devices do not implement this, however. Moreover, Matthew, moreover, that isn't the way that the response is sent. This reverse hello procedure is is to confirm that you're talking to the correct edge, the correct edge node. But that isn't the way that values are updated. Um, it, it, it's it, edge driven is never a component of OPC UA unless they're using part 14 for pubs up. OPC UA is not light, lightweight. It, it's, I'm not even going to get into this one. OPC UA is 25 times the size of an MQTT header. It's gargantuan. The OPC UA spec is 15 pages, whereas MQTT is 137. That's 3.1.1. Uh, um, Sparkplug B is only like 75 pages. So to be fair, OPC UA includes additional services. No, we're not being fair here. Life's not fair. It's not our fault that OPC UA tried to be everything to everyone, and therefore it's nothing to everybody. Um, the th that's That was the OPC Foundation's fault, right? So he, he says that... Um, only relies on other technologies for other services such this is this is a complete misunderstanding of the reality i and we should shoot a separate video on this altogether if we talk about lightweight lightweight the question is is how much bandwidth does the does a payload an opc payload take that's that's all we really care about it's not lightweight it's a it's hard to implement I am I the reason I know is because I have written the unified namespace gateway myself and the UNS gateway includes an OPC client in it and I know the namespace that I'm parsing from an OPC server and what it looks like when I convert it into MQTT and it's 125th the size and by the way as I as I create new nodes so if I, let's say I've got three namespaces in the OPC server that's an exponential impact so that's times three, times three, times three. Uh, OPC way is not open architecture. Can you clarify? Yeah, this basically boils down to um, there are many. He's these are not services. There are there are some services in OPC way, but what he really means here is functions. There are functions in the OPC standard that are optional. There are custom methods you can create actually if you want to. What it means is what I'm saying is like two thirds of the OPC UA standard is optional. In Sparkplug B, there's one component that's optional in Sparkplug B. One, a single one. OPC UA is equivalent, Sparkplug B and OPC UA, that's an apples to apples comparison. The difference with OPC UA is that you have OPC UA server, client, you know, service method, you know, Pub sub, blah blah blah. Allowing each device. Uh, wait, you mentioned that many services of OPC UA is optional, but how does that detract from OPC UA being open? Allowing because the answer is is that within OPC UA, 
Um, you decide based on the way that you implement OPC UA, what is exposed. Okay. You make the decision. It's baked into the standard itself. Sparkplug B, the Sparkplug B standard is built under the assumption that you are taking an entire namespace and packaging it and publishing it. That's so how Spark. The very assumption of OPC UA goes against our make no assumptions about how the data will be consumed. Correct. And the re and guess what? The reason that they bake that in to the standard is because if you were going to send everything from the edge over OPC UA, you would hit the critical mass, which is what you know yeah, you're going to hit. You can't send UA. everything over OPC UA. Um, allowing each device application to select what is appropriate above the bare minimum seems more open than forcing all devices to implement to all features. That's not true. In fact, that violates rule number three, make no assumptions about how the data will be consumed. Make no assumptions. Do you want to know why digital transformation fails? It fails because you, there is, there are, there are data points, there are events, there are contexts, there is information you need to allow machine learning and artificial intelligence to uh, make optimal uh, predictions and, and recommendations that they don't have access to because you made those assumptions up front. I agree it's not enough for a marketing person to say our devices support OPCA, which is about equivalent to them saying I speak English, which the right response would be you speak English, but what can you actually do? Okay, so then he says maybe this video um, addressing the enterprise level unified namespace, these papers suggest that OPCUA is only appropriate for work center and lower, whereas MQTT is more appropriate. That's exactly what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that OPCUA is not the future of IIoT. So we, we're in agreement there. Moreover, um, these are both, he's, he must work for this company. He probably works, um, he's probably a member of the consortium or he works for a company. Yeah, it looks like he works for someone who sells the, the, um, a solution that uses Rami 4.0. And for those of you that don't know, we're going to go over this in step two, which is the reference architectural model for industry 4.0. It's completely excrement. I'm going to tell you what to stay away from. Um, there are pieces of this that are valuable, but this is another perfect example of a white paper um, that provides no value to the end user who's reading it. It only, it only serves to confuse. This is a white paper that contains nothing but buzzwords. Okay. It contains nothing but buzzwords. Um, but it, this is a, this is a really good, this is a re, this is really good feedback, um, from Matthew Paris, but in it, it, one of the reasons we shot the unified namespace video today is because he's, he's making mistakes that we see people make all the time about, or he making assumptions that people make all the time that they can't make. Okay. And we'll post that full video Wednesday. Um, and we're going to do questions like this every week. So we're going to try to keep it to one hour to respect yeah. your guys. Let me, time. let me go. I'm going to, I'm going to just answer these that were listed here. Uh, I, I T O T uh, security. Does MQTT make it easier or harder? The answer is much easier primarily because you're, if you, if you adopt edge driven, Dan, then you're not opening any inbound ports. Number one, number two, if you're using spark plug B, then, the connection it, it, it or your payloads are encrypted. 
Um, number three, and this is the beauty of it. If you're using a unified namespace and I answered this question in the unified namespace video, IT can have their, their policies and procedures. OT can have their policies and procedures and they just happen to share from the same unified namespace. So think of them as separate ecosystems or separate, separate groups plugging into the same ecosystem. Um, Paolo Halrasi said, how do I join the mentorship program and where should I start to learn? Zach, I'm going to let you answer that one. And didn't Mario have a question? I thought Mario had a question. Did you delete it or something? Hmm. Okay. Um, any, let me go back here. Any other questions before we, this is going to Yeah, be I'll leave the link to join the mentorship program. Oh, right here. Um, Mario, right here. Uh, aside from the bigger companies like Siemens with MindSphere, many IoT platforms are popping up. Are we having a bubble in the market? Many try to centralize their data. The, the answer is yes. The Absolutely, uh, Mario. The answer is absolutely yes. We've got this bubble, right? The, um, the issue we have is very few of these IoT platforms are adopting open standards for the way that they construct their data. That's the issue. The issue is think, think of it as the unified namespace is absolutely, in our opinion, is absolutely critical to successful digital transformation across um, a, a, an entire enterprise. Even if you do it at the plant level, you know what I mean? It's just, it's, it, it, you know, the unified namespace gives you the ability to standardize and remain flexible from the edge because the changes from the edge are pushed into the namespace automatically. Um, uh, blah, blah, blah. Any other questions here? Uh, Mo, as if a uh, comparison of OPC UA and MQTT performance. MQTT is going to win due to smaller payload. It's that simple. Spot on, Scott. Um, hey, uh, invalid invite expired, Zach. Um, I think I fixed that. Where was the? Did does Mo just want me to talk about OPC UA and MQTT performance? Yeah, let me do that real quick, uh, and then that'll be the last the last one I I talk about. Uh, let me go here. I, I've done this before, but let's take a look at. Um, I can actually show this in the unified the UNS gateway. All right, so let's look at OPC UA. There are two pieces that go into the overhead. Okay, number one is the OPC UA header, which is just huge, right? It's huge because that header contains a lot of information that is or it references to a lot of information that's optional, okay? So the OPC UA header for a, an OPC UA communication between a client and a server is yay big. And the header for a, an MQTT communication is yay big. It's actually smaller than that, okay? Here's another thing. Inside of a PLC one, or Seven out of out of every 100 tags has a value change 
once or at least once at least once uh every minute okay so that's a csia number so for if you have a thousand tags inside of a plc okay and th and this is there are this varies like if you're working in like a batch system um if you're working like in a batch system this number is going to be higher so the more analog values you have inside the plc the higher this rate is going to be but based on the standard which is you have four 16-bit or 32-bit um, digital inputs and outputs for every one analog eight channel analog in out it's seven out of ten okay um seven out of every 100 tags i mean seven out of 100 seven out of every 100 tags values change at least once every minute in a plc okay with mqtt with mqtt um you would send seven payloads let's say there, there were only seven that changed and they only changed once in that minute then you would send seven payloads with opc ua depending upon if you use all the default configurations all the default configurations and depending upon how these values are spread out in the address namespace you could send uh 100 payloads um e easily you could easily send 100 payloads um or, or 100 100 uh 100 payloads over OP, using opc ua okay because only if you think about it when you when you um Mo if you use all the default settings, which is the way that we do this, if you use all the default settings in a, a server, you're going to respect the client scan rate. You're going to say, hey, show me the value every, you know, I want to, uh, you know, my scan class is five seconds or one second in my SCADA system, my OPC client. And even if that value changes once every 10 minutes or once every hour, you're still checking on it every second or every five seconds or every... 10 seconds. I, you know, generally we don't see scan rates longer than every 10 seconds. So what ends up happening is MQTT sends fewer transmissions per 100 tags, far fewer. And each transmission is a fraction of the size of an OPC transmission because of the header. The head, by the way, the header is the initial communication. You know, every, every communication has, you know, has, uh, some default header plus data, right? This is what it looks like, you know, here. Data in MQTT versus OPC way. Then what you do is you take just the total number because we're doing report by exception, then we're sending fewer transmissions because fewer data points are changing. As opposed to the checking, I'm checking to see if something changed, which is how OPC UA operates. OPC checks to see how things operate, how often it, it's changed. In MQTT, you're notified that it's changed. So when you take this delta, and it's an exponential difference, and you multiply this by that, and you multiply this by that, okay, what you get is MQTT in general is 125th the uh the overhead of OPC UA.
And by the way, this bears out. So using my, so one of the things that I, I did with the Unified Namespace Gateway was I did a comparison of our MQTT publishes to the broker versus the OPC server pulling the data from the edge. And if just in the first 60 seconds, I, I can give you guys all the results. Just in the first 60 seconds, we went from like, it was like 30 kilobytes versus um, 30 kilobytes versus like 800 kilobytes um, o MQTT to, to OPC UA for the same, I can't remember, 200 tags or something. Well, that's almost right at 25th. Is it? Well, if it was 100, I think if, if it was 100 times more efficient, then it would be 300 kilobits would make like three megs, right? So and what's crazy and what's crazy is in our simulated environment we don't have the seven out of 100 tags i think there are many more tags that are changing so opc opc ua has fewer wasted requests i mean that's really what it is it's that you're checking for a change that didn't happen and that and every time you check for that change it's this so the how do you optimize that right so how do you solve that what you do is you have to configure your OPC UA client. You have to optimize the, re the request rate for your OPC UA client. I mean, it, it, whenever I have these conversations, like, you know, like when I was talking to the, the VP of technology at Sesame, or, you know, if you're talking to Stefan Hopper, you know, I get lots of objections on the OPC UA side. Hey, man, I don't understand this, or I don't think you're being fair there. I mean, once you basically sit down and I, you know, or I show them the benchmarking, they don't really, they're like, the light bulb comes on. They're like, oh yeah. The only way to get this, the only way to get this down. I mean, think about this. You get to, you know, this, you get to make six requests for, for before you use up the same amount of overhead that at one OPC UA request makes. I mean, it's, it's not even close. It really just isn't even close. All right. Um, any other questions? Guys, subscribe to the channel. We're gonna do this again next week and um, leave your questions below. Join the Discord server. Guys, we are gonna close mentorship program. We have to do that. So everyone kind of stays in the same track. We're, it's uh, you guys, so I, we don't know exactly what date we're gonna close it, but it's definitely gonna be closed before the orientation call on January 14th. The sooner you sign up, um, the sooner, the better, so. Any any other questions? Any, any Anything even unrelated to discord or um you know that i can i can answer if anyone wants to convert from a monthly subscription to an annual reach out to me um you save two months but if you guys are already a subscriber I'll, I'll give you three months off so that way you get a if you are planning on subscribing the whole next year convert to an annual subscription that, that'll help us out with our you know forecasting oh, mo mo had a question on mentorships where was mo's I yeah, can't. so he asked how to join. The link, the link will be down below. And, oh, okay. Uh, hey, hey, I see John. Um, all right, cool. All right, drop the link in the chat right now. Thanks, guys. Yeah, why, Michael? Why use? Oh yeah, okay. Dowdell asked, "Why use Highbyte if we have the UNS Gateway and Ignition or Factory Studio?" Um. 
the answer to that question, Michael, is um, iBite does modeling um, for a much lower cost. And it, 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 you know, Ignition and Factory Studio are going to be able to do pretty much everything that HiBite can do. Um, you're going to be able to create the models. All that's a really good question. You'd be able to create the models. You'd be able to select the interval at which you want to transmit the updates, all that stuff. You can do that. The, the triggers, the events. Um, you to start won't off be... the by going more in, more in depth on this question specifically. We'll say that again. Maybe um, we should go into this specific question about the UNS gateway and HiBite and how these systems play together. Um, you know, in our next Q and A. Okay. Yeah. Are you trying to get off here? Or is that the? No, no. I mean, um, I, I want to give people a reason to come back next week. <laughs> oh well, let me. Yeah, but let me let, let me just go ahead and answer the. Right. Um, so HiByte has a lot more functionality than the UNS Gateway has. The UNS Gateway is a very specialized tool that I hope I, in fact, I even said to Aaron Semley at HiByte that, you know, I want to share that functionality with them and have them take it over. Um, but then, but I, I decided, and I do want to share it with them if they want to incorporate it, they can but I, I really want to make it available to the community. I want people to be able to use this tool without having to pay anything if they don't want to and, and, and be able to start solving problems. They go into an ecosystem and they, they don't have to go and buy a bunch of licenses and all that kind of stuff. HiBuy is, HiBuy can do a lot of things the UNSA gateway can't do. Um, I mean, the, the real strength is is that HiByte was is being developed by the people who built Kepware, and and I mean Tony, you know Tony Payne really built Kepware, you know he from I mean I remember Kepware when it was, you know a regional company in the Northeast when I was in New York, I remember when Kepware was really just a regional solution, um, and you know, high, what HiByte's going to end up being is basically your, it's going to be two things. It's going to become your industrial, um, it's going to become your industrial um, connector, you know, just like it's going to connect to everything and allow you to turn, put it, turn everything into the models that you need. And on the other end, you're going to end up with a HiByte unified namespace. So you're going to end up with like this point to point HiByte, you know, inexpensive implementations of HiByte on the edge, and then your unified namespace in the center, and everything's going to plug into it. Now, someone had asked the question, how do you avoid vendor lock with HiByte? And the answer is, that's a really good question, because if you're doing your modeling in HiByte, you have vendor lock. If you're doing your connections and publishing to the unified namespace with HiByte, you don't. At some point, you have to commit yourself to, um, you know, you, you, you got to commit yourself to a platform, but you, you want to do it in a way where you can back out if you need to. So designing those models so that they're not just designed. I mean, HiBytes using like standard prim principle, Aaron's using standard software development, software modeling to create the model, the modeling 
feature in Hybyte. So it's standardized. Um, I, for me, the reason that I'm so big on Hybyte is that we, as a community, we are going to need a platform that is going to, we're going to get to a point where our IoT infrastructure in these enterprises is going to be massive. And what we're going to need to be able to do is plug in a connector and connect it to whatever, whatever new node we've identified. We're going to need that connector. We're going to need that node. And we're going to need to be able to point it to our infrastructure. And Hybyte's going to be able to do that. The biggest advantage is that Hybyte is going to be able to do the two things you got to do. Well, the three things you got to do. Number one, you got to be able to do the modeling at the edge. You got to be able to convert unlike data structures into like data structures. You got to be able to do that. You're right, Dowdell. Ignition and Factory Studio can do that, but not for the cost you can do it in Hybyte, number one. I mean, you're talking like a one-fifth investment in one case and like a one-eighth investment in another. Um, so, I mean, that is a huge difference, right? And as Hybyte sells more and more licenses, the cost is going to go down, right? I mean, we could get, you could get those edge costs could be fractional. I mean, you know, a hundred bucks a license, that kind of thing um, on the edge. Um, the, the other thing is Hybyte can serve as a unified namespace as well. So can Ignition and Factory Studio. So that's where they're comparable. And then the last thing is Hybyte will also give you the ability to stream data from the edge directly to um, the cloud. And you're going to do that for like uh, instrument-based um, instrument uh, um, machine learning. Uh, let me, let me answer any final questions. Highbyte when I don't have a, uh, hold on a second. uh, I see Highbyte when I don't have ignition or factory studio. I have a lot of reasons. You're, you're right. Dadel, there's nothing you're saying here. Um, there's nothing you're saying here. That's incorrect. How do you select a broker to work with Highbyte? Um, well, it's going to work with any broker, but, um, the, I, you're, I think you're going to settle on a, on a, you know, we're using EMQ. That's what we're settling on now. Um, we're using uh, Mosquito for all of our dev, but then we're using EMQ for all the production environments. Um, I would not use a UNS gateway without modeling functionality. Correct. Um, the UNS gateway has no modeling in it. It, it basically is... I've got this existing infrastructure. I want to connect to it, convert it, and get it into my IoT infrastructure. And I want it to take me 10 minutes. That's what the UNS gateway is. Highbyte would be more compelling with drivers like Litmus. <laughs> it's funny you say that, uh, Michael, because um, I was saying the same thing. To, um, I mean, but the, the advantage you've got, I don't know what the, uh, is Omar or anybody on here from Highbyte? Uh, I don't know what their relationship Omar, with Omar was. Omar was on here, actually. Was he? Um, I don't. I don't know. Um, Scott Palmer just heard the EMQ. Yeah, we picked EMQ because of Tony does not want to do it, or he does want to do it. Good, awesome. What? What? If let's talk about litmus automation real quick, and then we'll drop. Um, Highbyte is only upstream. Yeah, it's upstream from the device right now. It's up, well, it's, up, it's upstream from the abstracted device. So database, it's got connectors for, I, I don't even know what, how many Aaron's got now, but, um, or how many he's developed, but I, I know uh, SAP is one of the ones they're working on. 
um, OSI Pi. Tony does not want to do it. I, I, but I think the reason that Tony, there's probably a partnership there between them and Kepware. And that, that would be getting into the, you know, stepping on Kepware's toes, you know, and as much as I hate to say it, those types of things play a huge role. So, um, all right, cool. That's it. I'm, uh, so we're going to do this again next week. We'll try to keep it to one hour, um, next week, but I, I appreciate everybody jumping on. This gave us a good chance to answer all the questions that everyone had. Um, thanks. See you guys next week. Appreciate you guys. Thank you.